everybody, and welcome to another episode of Book Goodies, our author series of podcasts. I'm your host, Deborah Carney, and today I have with me author Lucy Leitner. Hi, Lucy. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Uh, you have a very bizarre novel that is going to be fun to talk about. Why don't you um, introduce yourself and tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Um, well, I... Studied writing in college. I went to the University of Pittsburgh, graduated in 2005, um, and got my master's in journalism after that. So I figured, you know, journalism is not in the best state, so I should start writing fiction, which is exactly the opposite of all of my favorite writers from the 1960s, like Tom Wolfe and Hunter Thompson. Um, yeah. But somehow that seemed to work for me. Um, so basically now um, I'm still I'm still working. I work in marketing and uh, write. I'm working on a se- second novel. We're doing promotions for this first one and running a couple blogs. Um, one focused on film here in Pittsburgh, and the other just humor about zombies. That's and that's pretty funny because. Um, I mean, it's it's like a zombie vampire craze has overtaken the country, and I'm like, what? I, I don't get it. But I like the way that you've taken it into a humorous vein, which makes it at least more tolerable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, instead of scaring kids to death, uh, you know, that there's actually zombies wandering around out there. Yeah. Um, so, all right, so tell us how you got the idea for your book. Um, well, the book is called Working Stiffs, and it's about zombies in the office. And I basically, I got the idea, not from horror and not from zombies, but from actually working in an office. I was sitting in a workplace safety meeting, and they kept giving us all these situations that could happen, like really interesting ones like tornadoes, where they're very, very rare in the area where the... And earthquakes were very rare in the area in Pittsburgh, you know? Yeah. We're <laughs> known for our earthquakes. But, and some of them, all of them basically had the same thing. They had, they had the same pieces of advice. And my favorite one was when, if there is ever an outbreak of workforce violence, to barricade yourself in the conference room and stay there. <laughs> which is, <laughs> which was basically... I thought to myself while I'm sitting at this meeting that, you know, what do I need this training for? I've seen Night of the Living Dead. This is the (laughs) exact same thing. So I just thought, you know, what a perfect parallel that could be to make, you know, the working stiffs actual working stiffs. So I came up with a plot um, about pretty much the book is satire. So it pretty, pretty much just had everything thrown in that I wanted to really like to, to really poke fun at and satirize so it took place at a pharmaceutical company where the CEO has been abducting the homeless off the street and injecting them with a with a serum that's supposed to make them slaves but inadvertently turns them into flesh-eating zombies and then they get loose they storm the corporate headquarters and all hell breaks loose and it's zombies in the office and a group of white-collar employees are left to fend off the zombies with an array of office supplies i love it they're throwing toner (laughs) cartridges they're they're shoving letter openers down their throats exactly staplers you know there's lots of bludgeoning because really these things aren't very good weapons (laughs) and the zombies are looking at the guys like are you kidding me (laughs) 
<laughs> but it does sound like a very, uh, very fun premise and a very interesting premise uh, for a book. Now, you were working full time already when you were writing the book, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, how did you fit your writing into your um, into your schedule? How did you, you know, how did you time manage yourself? Well, by often being a very bad employee and doing a lot of writing while I should have been working, particularly when I'm kind of you know, researching the office where I'm working, I would just sit there and I would take notes that would kind of be unfocused and then I would start, they'd start forming characters. So I'd have just endless word documents just filled with, with just, with just typing. Maybe there would be a good quote that I wanted to use or, or something that like, I just thought of this character and I'm thinking maybe I can fit him in somewhere or some characteristics of the zombies or some office behavior that I wanted to satirize. So I did a lot of working then, and then I was also, at one point, I was working, I was interning, and I was in graduate school, so it was, (laughs) oddly enough, that's when I got most of the work done, when I was really focused on several projects all at the same time. Well, and it's funny sometimes how that works, because you know you have certain deadlines for certain things, and then you need an escape valve to to be able to um, let off some steam while you're under the pressure for all those other projects. Absolutely. And that's that's definitely how it worked. I would just somehow allot time and I would get lost in the story. And all of a sudden I would have maybe 20 pages written. And that's just how it came along. I like it. And this is one of the um, recurring themes that I'm finding with the authors that we're um, interviewing for this series of podcasts is that many of them are what they call themselves accidental writers or... Mm-hmm. They planned to write something, but they had to write it in little bits and pieces, you know, uh, at the doctors while they're waiting for their kids to, you know, to at the dentist or dance lessons or, or something else. And a lot of writing takes place while you should be doing something else or while you just have downtime that, you know, you, you want to put to some kind of use because your characters want to come out. Did you plan on, well, you, obviously you you were in uh, you were in school for journalism, and I got to tell you that a whole lot of people, including my son, went to college for journalism and end up writing fiction. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Is there the- something about the journalism that makes you not want to continue writing journalism, or do you see too many good stories in real life that you need to fictionalize? Well, I'm seeing it just because I, I, I really, I mean, I spent a whole summer studying the new journalists of the 60s. I just love that whole movement and every single one of them. The reason why they wound up, and I studied creative nonfiction when I was in college. So that's yeah. for the longest time, that's what I wanted to write. I wanted to be Hunter Thompson. And yeah. uh, and and um, so, so what I what I found by, you know, reading about all of them from, you know, to Truman Capote and Joan Didion and all of those people is that they... They all wanted to write fiction, but there was no money in it. There were no jobs. And now, since the newspaper industry is just seems to be collapsing so much, it seems somehow more stable to write fiction. <laughs> that is pretty funny. And it, it is based in the way that people want to consume their information. It mm-hmm. isn't that um, newspapers are no longer uh, delivering a product that people want, but they're delivering it in the wrong way. People, yeah. people aren't, you know, picking up the newspaper and taking it on the train into work anymore, um, partially because there's so many that are unemployed and partially because um, they just, you know, can't afford a paper or 
or aren't aren't interested because they're focusing on other things. And um, they everybody wants to just have their news delivered to them electronically now. I, yeah. you know, as much as I love newsprint and a newspaper, why make all that waste that needs to be recycled when I can go online and get the same information electronically that doesn't cost anybody anything? And, you know, that's why newspapers have to figure out a way to continue their model, but to be consumed in the way that their consumers want them. Yes, absolutely. And just, I mean, it's really difficult to justify paying for something when you can get it for free. So, Well, and uh, plus, you know, all the all the stuff about being green. And, yeah, exactly. You know, you do tons and tons of newsprint, and it's wonderful, and you flip through, and, you know, you read three stories, and then you put it down on the, the seat of the subway for someone else to go read until it ends up getting tossed out, and then, boom, there you go. You just got absolutely. more garbage. So... But um, anyway, I just it was an observation of mine that a lot of people that went to school for journalism, which does give you a good background for research, mm-hmm. to be able to research a novel. Um, so, I mean, you had to do research on a few things for your novel. First of all, you had to do some research into what zombies really are and how they would react to certain situations. Yeah, um, and I, I had to do research on two kinds. There's predominantly really, well, there's a third kind of zombies that have just emerged and those seem to be like the zombies of 28 days later and the who are infected that they're not dead but i didn't look at those really at all i was looking at the other two which are the traditional haitian zombies which aren't flesh eating and i think they can sometimes talk but they are just made they're basically man-made zombies purposely they're just taking away someone's free will and enslaving them so right I, I kind of borrowed from, from Haitian folklore and um, with the George Romero zombie where he did take in, which, you know, where he pretty much made ghouls into the new zombies. So I made the ghoulish behavior a side effect of the drug that was supposed to take them and enslave them. So those are the two that I kind of looked at. So I wanted to be pretty accurate to, uh, you know, to to what was the most common of, of both of those two schools of thought about zombies. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and there was some researching of um, pharmaceutical companies in general and how they operate, what their what their uh, what their factories look like, and everything. And um, just basically, um, you know, all my zombies were hospital scrubs because even though they are zombies, they're in a clean room and they have to be. And that's what you wear when you're at a pharmaceutical plant. So that's funny. <laughs> I like it. That's a detail. You yeah, it's <laughs> a detail that makes it believable. Someone you know who works in some place like that would be like, they can't be wearing that. That's that's not allowed. How did they get Absolutely. in? <laughs> How did the zombies get in? Oh my god! <laughs> um, so now, what's your uh, what's the second book that you're working on? Oh, my second one is also going to be it's going to be satire because um, that's going to be my that's that's the genre that I predominantly like to work in hum, really dark humor satire. This one's going to be about like a, a dystopian future of the United States in only about like twenty years or so, and it's going to be absurdist and it's going to have to, and I, it's really difficult to explain, but. Um, it's basically taking uh, a lot of just current things and really, really exaggerating them and making them kind of ridiculous. And it will be kind of like a, a hard-boiled type of mystery. Okay. 
but funny. And it's very, it's, the zombie one's a lot easier to explain. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it'll, it'll be a lot easier to explain after it's finished, too. That, that will really help. <laughs> now, here's a question for you. Do you, um, do you outline or do you just like free write and write from the seat of your pants or... I know you said you took a lot of little notes while you were writing the zombie book while you were at work, but do you have like an outline that you fit it in first or do you just let it go the way it takes you? Well, this is, I don't have any formal training in fiction All my, I mean, I have formal training in creative writing, but that, but screenwriting and creative nonfiction. So, um, I just kind of went with it. Um, I'm an avid reader, and I kind of thought about the structure that we were that we learned in, in screenwriting class, and from what I've learned from other authors. So basically, that one was it was just kind of all over the place uh, the way I the way I wrote it. I, I wound up moving chapters around and everything, and um, adding plot lines after I thought the book was mostly complete. Mm-hmm. Um, but the second one that I'm working on, the plotting is a lot tighter. Um, you know, one thing is more dependent on another, and it's going to be more complex because it's in a world that we're not living in. Right. So uh, that one I have actually storyboarded with little um, little pieces of paper that are all neon colors so each plot line can coincide with a character so I'm starting to outline now and I really think depending on what the depending on whether you're, the work is plot driven or character driven I would say it could go either way for this one since it's so plot plot driven um, and so there's there's so much backstory to the all event all the events in the book that I actually had to plot out a timeline of history that took place 20 years before this book started. So I'm trying something new with outlining. Usually I'm just all over the place. Well, and that sounds very interesting. Are you using an online program to do your um, storyboarding, or are you actually have like you know a big board where your stickers go, where your neon papers go? I have. A couple bulletin boards with little thumbtacks sticking out of them. <laughs> nice, nice. That's the and you know what? I'm a very visual person, and there are some folks that have uh, recommended some uh, storyboarding software to me, and I'm like, yeah, I have to have that on the other computer screen because it would, I would be too distracted if I were trying to storyboard and write. You know, you've got to be able to look at your storyboard while you're writing. Is is my feeling. Yeah, that too. And you don't want to wind up spending that much time on your storyboard. It's just supposed to be a tool, you know? Yeah, I just want to be able to stick this here, stick that there. And this is where this is supposed to go. Oh, let's move this around and then write it. Exactly. That's my, my, I completely agree. (laughs) Now, you mentioned something about film in your introduction. What do you, what, how are you involved in film? Um, well, I write, I, I run a blog, it's called Hollyburg. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's about, um, Pittsburgh is, is really, is, you know, is being called Hollywood East now by so many people because we have so many movies filmed here, just Batman is in theaters now that was filmed here last summer. So there's just this great emerging film and art scene in Pittsburgh right now. Okay. Um, they put in an enormous soundstage, um, in the city, and so I've just been writing a blog chronicling everything. I write about the huge budget movies that come through town, down to the, like the little independent micro-budgeted movies that got their funding 
like $3,000 on sites like Indiegogo. So I just want, and, and student films and everything like that. So just writing about just in general, um, what's going on in Pittsburgh and film. Okay. And then your other blog focuses on your books or is it a different focus also? My other blog is called The Daily Ghoul. I don't have time to ever update it, but it is a satirical, <laughs> it's a satirical newspaper that just takes basically the world as it is today if the zombies had been here. So it's funny. It's just basically things like, you know, just just basically goofy things. Like I write about hockey, um, you know, instead of there's not goons, but they, you know, the New York Islanders have... <laughs> to entice fans by getting some uh, importing some actual ghouls and having them on their team. So basically, it, it's stuff like that. It's real lighthearted, goofy, and I really need to update it more. <laughs> okay. Well, um, now a lot of authors are, are building platforms for their books. Do you have a platform to market your book from, or how are you how are you marketing your book? Um, well, basically, I'm. I have my, my journalism experience, so I'm I'm pretty good with with you know understanding the the um, uh, pitch letters and everything. And I've worked in public relations, so kind of I'm just trying to establish. All, I'm trying to basically integrate everything I do, all my projects, and um, try to establish a name for myself by you know keeping up on like free online PR tools and emailing relevant um, you know blogs websites newspapers radio stations everything like that and um, I still I have to build myself an actual website but uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> basically you know I'm trying to I'm, I'm trying to build like a following for some of my projects on social media and everything and that's basically what I'm doing right now and um, I don't at the moment, that's that's basically it, and it's just. And I've been jumping on all opportunities when there's this recent spate of you know zombie attacks and everything. It's mm-hmm. just, you know, it's something that I'll I'll jump on in, in a way to you know joining conversations about it and making local radio appearances. So that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, now, tell us how you went about the process of finding your publisher. Um, well, I don't, I can't find this list anymore, but I went on the, uh, Horror Writers Association website. Uh, it's like hwa.org, I think. Um, and was just looking for horror publishers because if you, there's just an abundance of these niche markets for fantasy, sci-fi, and horror. Um, and, and I wanted to find a good publisher and one, and so I looked at the HWA approved list and I found Necro Publications and I looked at their site and they were actively seeking submissions and specifically they made it, uh, had a note on there that they wanted uh, comedy and they wanted humor books um, that were obviously horror. And so I sent it in, uh, last November, November, 2011, um, and I heard back in late January saying that um, they wanted to publish my book, and it came out in June. That's beautiful because that moved really fast. It definitely, well, it kind of did because I hadn't done any work on the book in something like nine months and was just sitting there. So okay. it could have gone faster if it wasn't for me. <laughs> so now you you went with what we what we normal what people are starting to call a boutique publisher which is someone, a publisher that specializes in a genre. 
which is great for you. So what types of services did they provide for you? Did you do your editing by yourself, hire an editor before you got the book to them, or did you have them do editing, or both? Well, um, <laughs> my mother's a copy editor at National Geographic, so oh, she, nice. she's, been, <laughs> she's been a proofreader for over 20 years, so, so she's... She's pro- she proofread it for me. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, I had that. That was a great benefit. Um, but they have editing. They they have editors and proofreaders at the publisher, and they would have done it. But my mother got everything, and I think they might have found one semicolon that was wrong. Mm-hmm. The publisher's editors got to it, but I just like I offered to. I said that we would do it because I wanted to look through it again and just make sure there was every nothing that I missed. Um, but yeah, they, they did that. They, they got, um, they took care of everything with the, with the, getting the book physically made and the eBooks and the listing and everything and getting a cover art. Um, I, since I'm in Pittsburgh and my publisher's in Florida, I took care of getting the photo taken, um, for the book jacket, but everything else they did. Um, I just, since I have a lot of contacts in the local media, I offered to take care of, you know, any sort of local promotion. Okay. Um, and then I've, uh, with experience in PR and just, you know, I kind of like doing this stuff, uh, you know, reaching out to other people uh, via the internet and everything to try to promote it. Okay. Um, that's really, that's really awesome too. So are you using a lot of social media? I'm trying to. Um, I'm, I'm not the best with Twitter, but I'm learning, <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm not as concise as I need to be. You're not the first author to tell me that. I have so many authors that I've interviewed that are like, Facebook is fine, but Twitter, I can't I can't write anything in 140 characters. <laughs> well, that's not even so much of the problem for me. It's, it's just that I wind up, I'll say something witty and short, but I'm just pretty much just standing there waving my arms around yelling like yeah. that's basically how it comes across so but yeah I'm, I'm trying I'm, I'm really trying to learn alright and are you using anything like Goodreads or uh, library thing or there's a bunch of others that people have brought up to me some of the book specific social networks um it's not not yet. Uh, these are things that I definitely have to look into. I'm already I'm planning to look into Goodreads this week, but I haven't been on um, the literary side of it so much. I've just mostly been using the general the general okay. social media. But these are all more things that I'm that I'm going to get involved in when when I have a couple hours to spare. Well, and we're going to be interviewing. Um, I put another query in the same uh, publicity newspaper that you found me in, newsletter mm-hmm. online that you found me in, um, asking authors that are being successful using social media and Goodreads and those to- sorts of things. And um, I'll be starting to uh, schedule those interviews probably in the next week or so. Oh, good, um, I'll listen. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's something that is a resounding, uh, you know, consistently among authors is that... Um, Everybody, you know, there's things like the going to the bookstores and doing the readings and doing the book signings and all that kind of thing. But then there's that crossover to the social media. And then how do you come across without sounding like you're selling every time you post? And how do you interact and how do you manage your time around using social media? Because you can get sucked in 
you oh, know, yeah. you know, you read one thing and then you read another thing and then you read something that says go post here and go post there and the next thing you know, eight hours has gone by and you're like, whoa, what did I do today? I put yeah. my links on some social media sites and what's this going to get me? And you're not really sure. And I want to find out for authors, you know, what's the best use of your time? And a lot of times it's going to depend on your genre and depend on your audience. But, you know, maybe it's a good idea to spend a lot of time on Goodreads or Shelfari or some other um, niche social media site in addition to your Facebook presence and, you know, your own website. And... um, I, I absolutely encourage you to create your own website so that for all your social media things, you have some place to send people. Because, you know, everything you do on Facebook is on Facebook, but Facebook makes changes all the time. And, you know, they may make a decision tomorrow that kills your page and you got nothing. So if you've directed everybody back to your own website, um, you know, whether you add on to your, you know, have your have your folks for your uh, zombie book go back to your the Daily Ghoul or whatever. You know, just make sure you're sending people back to some place that you're, you are in control of so that you get those uh, readers to, uh, to, to get to know you better. Yeah, absolutely. It's just it's something I, I, I need to do. I'm just I'm uh, rather weak in my web design skills. Ah. <laughs> going to be oh I'm just it's one of those things that I'm just I'm just thinking okay this is going to be 60 hours <laughs> no 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 it isn't going to be that much at all I can tell you right now from my own experience that um and there are places that can help you and um I don't want to pitch our own services but we can direct you to people that um that can get a website built for you within a couple of days and that is easy for you to update basically you can take a blog and just use a different type of a template that turns it into a website with a blog at the back end so that's you know uh that it isn't it isn't that tough um it's scary sounding but it isn't it isn't all that bad and there's a lot of people that'll do it for a reasonable price um, I even know uh, someone who will build your blog website for free as long as you buy hosting from them. So, okay, um, that's a. I'll try and remember to shoot you that um, domain after in uh, in an email later and put it in the show notes for those of you that that need a, a website built and you need to get it done fairly inexpensively uh, by an author. So he he's mm-hmm. an author that has a service. Oh, cool. <clears throat> um, all right. So now, because you went in such an in such a different genre, did, mm-hmm. is it is there a real a real definition for the genre that you're in, or is it that you are is horror comedy accurate, and is that a real genre? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it is. Okay, I, that's that's how I've been describing it because because okay. um, so much horror, especially a lot of the horror that's on um, you know these small publishers and yeah. everything is so not mainstream. And okay. by you know I mean by that is like that it can be really like extreme horror. And I am it, that's that doesn't describe mine at all. Mm-hmm. Um, mine all the the violence in it is is comical basically there's nothing really that you're gonna say oh that's you know you're not gonna find anything that you find really disturbing in working stiffs so um 
so yeah, I guess that. So I mean, it doesn't really fit in, in exactly into horror, but I would say yeah, horror comedy is probably the best way to put it. Well, and I never knew there was a, a genre for culinary memoir until I interviewed somebody <laughs> um, a few uh, you know a few podcasts ago, and I was like, culinary <laughs> memoir. You combine a recipe book with the story of your life. And I'm like, well, that sounds really interesting. And yeah. he's like, well, yeah, you know, back in the day, a couple people did it. And, you know, she said, I wrote my book back then, but they didn't know what to call it back then. And then these two other ladies came out with it, and it worked for them. And so she got her book back out there. And there's, I think that it's part of the, um, I don't want to say the breakdown, but I think traditional publishing isn't able to... People want to consume more than what traditional publishing will give them anymore. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, if you took your book to a traditional publisher, um, a big one, not a not the small specialty house like what you used, but if you took it to a big publisher, they would be wanting you to format it in a specific way and tell your story in a specific way that fits into their formula for what where they saw your, your story uh, as being. And I think that um, consumers are being more demanding now, and we want to read more than just what the publishing houses have decided that we can read. You know, by taking away the gatekeepers, you know, you're opening up um, blended genres. If you, you know, if you want to look at it that way, that you know, you can write a book that crosses the lines from one genre to another and doesn't follow a formula and your book will still be successful because it's something people want to read. Yeah, exactly. Um, my, my, uh, protagonist in the story is a heavily tattooed, uh, chain smoking, whiskey drinking, self loathing, misanthropic gay man. So I didn't know how much like a regular large publisher would see that as being someone that anyone could identify with. (laughs) I know, you took everything and threw it all together. (laughs) Absolutely, but it turns out that a lot of people can identify with him because they can identify with someone in their mid-twenties being completely, like, disenfranchised and, and, you know, disenchanted with, with, you know, working life and being in the workforce with how the economy is now and the way that we're like the people of my age are all facing coming out of college and everything that has actually found that although the character is a bit extreme in one way or the other, he's identifiable to people. So it's something that I could see something like that possibly alienating something that's looking for someone that seems to be a more identifiable character. Well, and I think we're going to see a lot more of what you're doing because, uh, again, like I said, people like reading. If you're a good storyteller, it doesn't really matter what your story is. Mm-hmm. As long as you believe your story and you, pre- and you write it in a way that you believe it, then uh, someone else will connect with it. And it's just the marketing part to get it out to the right audience that can actually find it. Um, exactly. But, yeah, I think that um, the basic theme is, you know, telling the story and being true to the story and and then uh, getting it out there whatever way you can. Exactly. If you know if you know how to write and everything, um, I, then I, there's no reason why you, you can't tell something completely different than and, and not a story, not a regular, you know, three act 
story in the mm-hmm. traditional sense or anything. So I think that, I mean, I, I really enjoy these small press these small press publishers. I enjoy finding completely new things and, and um, new ways new ways of looking at writing and, and at novels. And you know what? Back way back in the day, you know, before there were writing classes and all that, there were classics that were written. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody taught them how to write. Exactly. <laughs> you know, they they just appeared. Nobody taught Shakespeare how to write. It was just he did it. And yeah. um, it's just been storytelling through the ages. And even though we can apply structure, um, doesn't mean we always have to. Mm-hmm. And sometimes stories need a little more structure, and but you figure that out when you're writing it. And you know, if your if your story, like you said, it isn't the three part story anymore. If you follow your own path, it, it's it's still going to be fine. You know, we would never have Harry Potter if J.K. Rowling made it set in New York City. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if Harry Potter, you know, she made up a world that didn't exist. Mm-hmm. And everybody jumped on the train, and nobody thought, you know. And Stephen King, you know, he wasn't—he was rejected a lot before he um, busted out there. And and every writer has been new at some time, unless they've got a family fortune behind them that was able to, you know, buy them a lot of publicity. Yeah. So, all right. So, for a writer that's sitting noodling around in their head, they've got a story. What what would be your advice to them? Um, basically start, start writing about it, start really thinking about it and start think. I mean, and if there's something that you're really passionate about writing, think of the best, the best way to tell it. Mm-hmm. Because for so many things like, like with my, with my book, I just, I was, I wanted to write a zombie thing and I was angry at my job and I hated it. And, you know, so I wanted to write a, a you know, a zombie book, but then it just became funny. So I would think like, can I kind of go the direction that the story takes you? Um, and don't, you know, I wouldn't set out with a vision of what it's supposed to be. Just, you know, if you, if you're still trying to, you know, ram pieces in that don't really fit after the story starts forming. I, I mean, just, I would say making sure that you have it in the right way, because some things, if you are telling something that's really personal to you, maybe sometimes it's a good idea to write it as a memoir, but maybe sometimes it's a better idea to look at the larger issues that that you're talking about and maybe put it in the context of something completely different. That's what's, um, you know, just really, really try, see what fits. And if something's not working, it might not be the story, it might not be the theme, it might just be the way that the way that you're you're telling it that's that's excellent advice um there's there's so many people that um i've that i've interviewed that are like yeah the characters told me what they wanted written Mm -hmm. and you go with the flow and you might not know like you said even though you're storyboarding the next uh novel there's room for change you know how the you know how the timeline needs to be but there are elements within that that if the story takes off, you can you can adjust, and it's just that you need to listen to your inner voice or whatever it is that's that's telling you you know what to write and how to write it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I just had I had the whole thing storyboard. I even started writing, and then all of a sudden, I just completely changed the character of the female lead and figured, hey, it makes a lot more sense if she's like this. So it happens. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. 
Well, um, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your day to uh, spend it with us and for our listeners to listen to you. Um, why don't you tell us where uh, a lot of our folks are listening on like iTunes. So tell me where people can find you um, on the Internet. I know you don't have one individual site, so go ahead and give, give us a couple of your websites. Um, well, you can find me on Twitter at LucyLightning13. Um, that's my Twitter account. Um, and then I have a Facebook page right now for the book. It's just Facebook.com slash WorkingStiffsBook. Um, and then uh, my, my Hollyberg blog, which is probably not relevant to most of your listeners. You never uh, know. <laughs> you never know. There, are, I'm, I have a theory that one out of every five people is connected to Pittsburgh in some way. So mm-hmm. uh, for those 20%, um, it is hollyberg.wordpress.com right now. And the Daily Ghoul is just dailyghoul.com. And um, my domain name is bought and paid for. There's just no site there that will be loosethelightner.com. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, maybe we can help you out with that. Um, thank you again for joining us. And for all of our listeners, thank you for listening. And we would love it if you listen to this on iTunes or, you know, you're listening on somebody's computer that you um, – Come on over to bookgoodies.com, B-O-O-K-G-O-O-D-I-E-S, bookgoodies.com, and do a search for Lucy Leitner or for Working Stiffs, and uh, her post will pop up with the show notes, and you can uh, leave comments, uh, ask questions, and uh, if you would like to be a guest on our podcast, go up to the top of the page of Book Goodies and click on the Contact Us. And you can um, either request to be a guest, recommend someone else be a guest, or um, ask us a question that we can use as a topic for a future podcast. And we also have a link there for you to tell us about your book. So you can fill out the form with the information about your book and your book cover and where to buy it. And uh, we will be able to put that on our site so that people searching around, looking around our site can find you. And we would like to thank GeekCast, geek as in computer geeks, and cast as in podcast, geekcast.fm. They host all of our podcasts for us, and they have a multitude of podcasts that are very interesting to uh, internet marketers. They're about marketing, internet marketing, uh, working from home, um, and of course, this book, book podcast as well. So... Um, I want to thank everybody for listening. Sit down, get writing, and have a great day.